All creatures, no matter how great or small, testify of God's creation. The honeybee is a little creature with big design features that can only be attributed to our wise creator. Be sure to hear the buzz about this remarkable insect. The bees have been designed by an all-knowing and all-wise supernatural creator. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Chances are, when you see a bee, you're too busy trying to keep your distance to consider how amazing it truly is. Besides making honey, bees also pollinate about a third of the world's food trucks. Now, corporately speaking, the hive is run so efficiently that businessmen could learn from its structure and success. But is the evolution of time and chance enough to explain the remarkable function of bees? Stick around for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the design of bees as evidence for God's creation. Dr. Thomas Kindle is founder and president of Reasons for Faith Ministries in Eagle Point, Oregon. He says the little bee, with all of its talents, has delivered a deadly sting to the concept of evolution. Now, most people know that a bee sting can sometimes be fatal if the person has a severe allergy. However, many people are unaware of the lethal sting that has been inflicted on Darwin's theory through scientific study of the bee. The instinctive abilities of honeybees are truly marvelous. One incredible thing about bees is the visual system that God gave them. ICR biologist Frank Sherwin explains. Most people would say that the bees have two eyes, but they actually have five. They have three very basic eyes arranged in a triangular pattern at the top of their head. Now, these are called acelli. They are designed by the Creator with a single lens to inform the bee of changes in the intensity of light. The acelli helps the bee to navigate through surrounding flowers and, of course, in getting from and to their nest. And speaking of evidence of creation, unlike people, bees can determine the plane of polarization of ultraviolet light in the atmosphere. Why is this important? Well, the bees can perceive the position of the sun even on cloudy days when only the occasional blue patch of sky is showing. This is an amazing God-given ability of the lowly bee to navigate without getting lost. And the bee's other two eyes are intriguing as well. Most of us are aware only that the bee has two large compound eyes on the opposite side of the bee's head. Both of these compound eyes are designed with just under 7,000 individual units crowded together as hexagons. These units, or biologists call them facets, are called omatidia, and each one of these tiny facets is able to take in light rays at the specific angle. Omatidia are made up of light-sensitive cells. Two of them are designed to receive green light, two to receive blue light, and two to receive ultraviolet energy uniquely from the sun. Finally, two of the remaining cells are designed by the Creator to respond to different colors depending on their position of the bee's eye. The design of the fascinating omatidium is such that the bees are able to recognize various flowers. However, there is a certain color that bees are unable to recognize. Bruce Bowers, an environmental health specialist with the University of California, San Diego, explains. Bees cannot see the color red, but they are highly sensitive to ultraviolet light. Now, uh, a lot of flowers, especially the white flowers, they're designed, too, to reflect ultraviolet light. And this way, when the bees are flying around, they see this ultraviolet light, they hone in on the flowers. Bees' vision is also extraordinary when it comes to seeing fast-moving objects. Frank Sherwin shares a humorous example of this. 
What is truly amazing is how the Creator designed bees with something called flicker fusion potential. God has designed the honeybees to be extremely sensitive to quick movements. In other words, they can detect changes in visual stimuli five times better than people can. If bees were able to sit in a movie theater and watch a film, they would see each frame going by at 16 to 24 frames per second as individual, distinct, frozen images. The bee would get very bored. Speed the film up by a factor of five to keep the bee's attention. Bees clearly have visual abilities beyond that of man. It should stand to reason that the complexity of bees' visual system could not have happened accidentally. One thing is for sure, this idea of time, chance, and natural processes such as genetic mistakes that we call mutation doesn't even begin to explain the incredible design features of the visual system of the bee. The bees have been designed by an all-knowing and all-wise supernatural creator. The idea that genetic mistakes can produce this kind of sophistication is unscientific at best. Another interesting aspect about bees is that they are very skilled in engineering and construction. Dr. Kindle. In the third century, the astronomer and mathematician Pappus of Alexandria became the first to offer an explanation for why the honeycomb is composed of hexagonal shapes. Pappus explained that although numerous different geometric shapes could have been used, only three would avoid the problem of leaving wasteful open spaces between the cells. The triangle, the square, and the hexagon. Of these three, Pappus noted that the hexagon proportionally holds more honey than either a triangle or a square, and the hexagon requires the least amount of wax to construct. Not only is the six-sided hexagonal-shaped honeycomb ideal for storing food, it's also what the bees call home. Bruce Bowers. If you think about it, everything in that hive is made out of honeycomb, which is the hexagonal-shaped cells. And it's used not only to store their food and to raise their young, it's also a place where they just hang out. A lot of times bees are found sleeping in some of the empty cells. This well-built hive is a design marvel, and the life within its fortified walls is fascinating. In the individual cells, the queen bee lays up to 3,000 eggs per day in order to replace dying worker bees. This brood chamber must be kept at between 92 and 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Bruce Bowers tells us that in order to accomplish this, the worker bees turn on the air conditioner. What the bees will do, if the temperature inside the hive becomes higher, the bees will actually carry in water, and then they'll take their wings and they'll fan that water to cool the air over the brood and drop the temperature down to 92 or 93 degrees. If for some reason the temperature drops below 92, then what the bees will do is that they'll cluster over the brood to kind of keep it warm and raise the temperature up. So they do help regulate the temperature inside the hive. Honeybees also care for their hives by keeping them neat and orderly. Dr. Kindle. If honeycombs become broken, the bees know how to harvest a type of glue to repair the combs. They also harvest a type of varnish, which they use to coat and hermetically seal off the decomposing body of dead intruders, such as mice, which are too heavy to be removed by the bees. It took man centuries to discover the critical need for sanitation and quarantine. As late as the 19th century, many medical doctors argued 
that there was no need for them to wash their hands before surgery, even if they had just handled a dead corpse. Yet, for thousands of years, bees have skillfully practiced the wisdom of quarantine and sanitation. So where did such tiny creatures get the knowledge to implement such an orderly and productive system? Bruce Bauer says it wasn't by accident. Here you have an insect that is so complex and is so diverse in its activities that none of this could come about by happenstance, by chance. It all points and all speaks of a very intelligent creator who not only designed it but put this into place. We've often heard the phrase, busy as a bee. Well, while the queen is busy laying eggs during her two- to five-year lifetime, summertime worker bees only have about six weeks to complete their tasks. As Bruce Bowers tells us, the age of the bee determines what job it has in the hive. A young bee, which is between zero and five days old, this bee has the capability of producing royal jelly, and it comes from glands in the head that secretes this royal jelly, and it's fed both young workers, drones, and the queen larvae. And they're called young bees or nurse bees. And it's interesting because worker bees do everything in the hive except mate or lay eggs. They'll do it all. The next stage, between 5 and 15 days, they're called the building bees. And at this point, the building bee, what it does, it produces wax to build the combs and to cap the cells. This is used to store the pollen and nectar when they're collecting it. They also cool and they'll warm the hives. Uh, Other duties would be they remove dead bees. When a bee's older, like between 15 and 20 days, at that point, their poison glands have developed. And their new job at that point is to guard the hive, guard the entrance against enemies and other worker bees that might come in and steal the honey. Now they have an operational stinger, and they can defend the hive. So that's their duty at that point. The next type of worker bee is the one that most of us humans appreciate the most. And although the honey-making or field bee is near the end of its life, it still has an important job to do. They're the ones that are going out collecting honey in the field. At that point, their flight muscles are fully developed, and they're capable of converting nectar into honey. So at this point, they're attracted to light. They go out on flights to collect the nectar, the honey, the pollen, the propolis, and they can bring it back to the hive, and they store it, and they give it to the other bees, distribute it to the other bees. There's so much more to discover about the fascinating honeybee, but because of limited time, it won't fit into our program today. But Bruce Bowers offers just a few trivia facts about this amazing insect. It's interesting to note that bees are excited by the color black, and that's because one of the bees' natural enemy is the bear, the black bear. And beekeepers that have worn black before, say a black tuff on their leg, those bees will zero in on that black tuff, and they will sting that thinking this is the bear, this is the bear it's going for. Um, Bees will fly, you know, probably one to two miles out of their hive to forage for flowers. They can go further, but they prefer sources that are closer to the hive. They do fly about an average of 13 to 15 miles per hour. So uh, they're quite the flying machine. Bees travel an average of 1,600 round trips in order to produce one ounce of honey, and this is as far as like six miles per round trip. The honeybees visit approximately 2 million flowers to make one pound of honey. To produce two pounds of honey, it's been reported that bees will travel a distance equal to four times around the earth. Bees from the same hive will visit approximately 225,000 flowers per day, and just one bee alone will visit between 50 and 1,000 flowers per day, you know, just to collect its honey. So when they stay busy as a bee, they, they certainly need the worker bee. 
And it's also noted that honeybees are the only insects that produce food for humans. So there's no other insect, outside of just eating the insect itself, there's no other insect that produces food on a wide scale as honeybees do. With all the fascinating things we've learned about bees today, it's easy to see how some view the design of the honeybee as the sting of death for Darwinism. Dr. Kendall. What could have programmed the elaborate instructions that went into the genes to regulate the fantastically complex instinctive behavior of these amazing little creatures all these thousands of years? Was it random chance or intelligent design? It is no wonder that in his famous book, The Origin of Species, Darwin himself admitted, and I quote, Many instincts are so wonderful that their development will probably appear to the reader a difficulty sufficient to overthrow my whole theory. End of quote. Amen, Darwin. I would agree. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.